Alright, good morning church. What a joy finally to actually be able to see the people I'm speaking to this morning. So glad to have you join us. Come on, if you're here with me, come give me a wave. All those who are upstairs and downstairs, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for joining today. Although I can only see half your face, but it's still better than nothing. And you know, you're allowed to respond to me, right? You can respond to me by waving or by clapping or, or just shout Amen, you know. Uh, uh, in, in this service, alright? And also, just a special shout out to those who are watching us online and um, you are, you know, I just want to really urge you to not just be spectators, okay? Can we not be spectators today? But we are all participants, amen? And so just come and engage with me uh, in the Word of God this morning as I share this very important message for all of us. And also a special acknowledgement to our online service hosts as well. I know today uh, we have Sister Kwai Cheng, Pastor Pei Yin, and you know, uh, I think Wilfred and jo Joash are there as well. And I can see them actively engaging on the chat. I'm so glad to see so many of you engaging on the chat as well. So continue to do that. All right, we are all participants uh, today as we engage God's Word. Hallelujah. Alright, this morning, before I begin the sermon proper, I want to show you some pictures. Please take a look at these pictures on the screen, okay? Um, and you tell me, what do these pictures have in common? What do these pictures have in common? All those who are online, you can type in the chat right now. What do you think they have in common? And those who are on-site, you know, think about it. You know, you, you see a low battery sign, you see a danger. And so what is it? These are warning signs. Warning signs. Yes, those, you know, online, if you did not get it, type it in the chat in uppercase, okay? Warning with an exclamation mark. These are all warning signs uh, that we see every day, isn't it? If you see a low fuel sign, it's time to go to the petrol kiosk. If you see a low battery sign, it's time to charge your mobile phones. If you see an F in your children's report card, oh no, now that's a very sensitive uh, thing to say, right? Because a lot of them are having the exams right now. Uh, if you see an F, it's a warning sign that probably they need to study a bit harder. So these are all warning signs that we encounter every day. Because, you know, and, and we do hit them, isn't it? Because we know that the consequences of not doing what it says, you know, not heeding those warnings. Of course, if we don't believe what it says, then we'll probably laugh it off, just like what, you know, one of the signs says, you know, it says, uh, carefully fall to the water. So we will laugh it off and we'll ignore it, right? But if we believe what it says, we will heed the warning sign. And every day, these days, you know, we see some warning signs that come up every day. And, and that's just yesterday, we saw in Singapore, uh, we reported the biggest single-day rise in COVID-19 cases uh, since the pandemic started. 2,909, that was two days ago. And uh, we thank God yesterday it dropped a little bit. And, uh, but, but that was the single biggest day rise in our COVID-19 cases. Every day I had to keep updating as I was preparing this message, okay? Every time I was preparing my slides, I had to keep updating it because the numbers kept rising. And September recorded the biggest single-day rise of deaths in a month, 40 out of the 95 uh, at that time. 
And the government took the recent spike in cases as a warning sign to really slow down the plans to reopen the nation. And that's why we're back to social gatherings of two persons only. Now, that seemed like a wise move, isn't it? But not all organizations or governments will hit that. And many of them actually, you know, they continue home mass gatherings, even political rallies. And the results of that was thousands of deaths. I think you have read about it in the papers. So today's message entitled Biggest Single Day Rise, all right, it presents us with a serious warning from Scripture based on the 10th and final plague. And here is the big idea of today's message. God's judgment is real. Ignore His warnings at your own peril. God's judgment is real. Ignore His warnings at your own peril. The consequence of ignoring this divine warning of the 10th plague is the death of thousands of Egyptians. And it was the biggest single-day rise uh, that he encountered. So there are serious consequences when you ignore God's warnings. And this message, I can tell you honestly, it spoke to me so deeply as I was preparing it. And I'm sure it will speak to you as well. So are you ready? Let's dive into the passage today. Exodus chapter 11. And let's start from verse 1. Exodus 11 verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Now, the nine plagues have passed and Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, refusing to budge. And then Pharaoh comes to Moses and said, this final plague will be different. Okay, it's not going to be like the nine plagues and he, this time he will let you go. And he will not only let you go, but he was going to drive you away. He's going to beg you to quickly go. And so what's different about this plague? I suggest to you there are four distinctives of the 10th plague uh, that I want to just describe to us this morning. The first distinctive, it was executed by Yahweh himself. By Yahweh himself. Let's look at Exodus 11 verse 4. It says, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. He said, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And it was confirmed in Exodus 12, 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. You see, in the previous plagues, God said, I will plague your country with frogs. I will send swarms of flies. I will send my plagues on you. I will bring locusts. This time, God said, I myself will go and execute this final plague. And the Lord did. He struck down all the firstborn. And this tells us that it was a direct punishment on the Egyptians. It cannot be avoided. It cannot be evaded. You know, previously, if there were flies, perhaps they could evade them. Or if there was hail, they could evade them. But not this time. Because God himself is going to execute this plague. And the language was meant to di communicate direct infliction by Yahweh. 
So that's the first distinctive. It was executed by Yahweh himself. The second distinctive, it was targeted at Pharaoh personally. You see in 11 verse 1, one more, one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. I will bring upon Pharaoh. Previously, it was always on the land of Egypt, on your country, on your people. Now, it's against Pharaoh himself. Very specific, very personal. Almost like a one-on-one fight with Yahweh. He was fighting against, he was opposing against Yahweh one-on-one. And in Exodus 4, verse 23, we see it uh, said, you know, God already warned Pharaoh, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God is saying, I will kill your firstborn son. So as mentioned previously, Pharaoh was the representative of Ra and he was viewed as the deity responsible for life in Egypt. And so Yahweh was thus directly dismantling the status by taking life away from him, his firstborn. He was, he was giving a divine slap on Pharaoh's face. It was an utter humiliation on Pharaoh. So because he couldn't even protect his own son, and his son was supposed to take over him as the incarnate son of Ra. And we saw how Pharaoh opp- oppressed and opposed the Israelites. Now he found God Almighty fighting against him personally, directly targeted by Yahweh. That is a scary thing, isn't it? To be directly opposed by God himself. And so that is the second distinctive of the 10th plague. The third one, it was of a different level of severity and devastation. It was absolutely terrifying, extremely harsh. You see in Exodus 11 verse 5, it says, And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Verse 6, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. And it was confirmed in Exodus 12, 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not one household where someone was not dead. It was not one house where someone was not dead. If you think the nine plagues were bad, this is far worse. The first nine plagues mostly affected the environment, right? They were living in. It was the environment. The water turned into blood. It was hailed. It affected the cattle. Uh, And there were no records in Scripture of human deaths due to the first nine plagues. The worst it did was probably afflict them with some disease and boils. Now, the most precious member of every family, the firstborn, is condemned to die. Perhaps the harshest form of punishment is to take the life of our children, isn't it? I think many of you here, you are parents. You know that many of you would rather die in their place. And to take your firstborn away from you, that is the harshest form of punishment. And in ancient Egypt, families lived together with extended households, right? Like multi-generational households. And the firstborn 
of each family died, meaning there will be multiple deaths in every family. Every family, multiple deaths. And it was said, you know, there was not a house where someone was not dead. The cry of anguish and despair must have been chilling, almost, almost like a morbid chorus of cries that came all around the Egyptian households. And interestingly, this cry all right, from the Egyptians was the same word that is used to describe the Israelites' cry to God in their slavery. The Israelites also cried out to God in Exodus 3.7. And this same word all right, actually was used to describe the cry that came from the Egyptians. And so we see God was paying them back for the oppression they committed against His people. The consequences of this plague was, were really, really horrendous. And now we come to the fourth distinctive of the tenth plague. It was the climax and goal of all the plagues. The climax of it. You see, Yahweh's intention in sending the plagues all along was to slay the firstborn of Egypt. All the other plagues uh, seemed to only serve to build up to that climax. We see in Exodus 4, 22, to 23, God revealed to Moses. Uh, he says, and Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Verse 23, And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Did you notice that God initially did not mention all the other plagues? He did not mention about the, the, the frogs, the flies. He only mentioned about the killing of the firstborn initially. And he knew that time would come when he would have to execute this finale of all plagues. He knew it. And that would be the final straw that broke the camel's back. That was the plan all along in the execution of the plagues. And it was, so it was as if all the other plagues were not important compared to this final one. It was the climax of all plagues. And so I've taken you through four of the distinctives of this 10th plague. And these four distinctives actually brings me to two main points this morning. The first main point that we need to learn is that we need to heed God's warnings of judgment. Heed God's warnings of judgment. Do not be found fighting against God one-on-one. -on -one. You are bound to lose. Do not be found fighting against God. You see in Exodus chapter 11, verse 10, it says, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders, the nine plagues, okay, the nine plagues before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So Pharaoh refused to heed God's warnings and was directly fighting against God by hardening his heart. And when we come to this point, um, I've heard some questions, many questions about this as I visited the different grace groups. Uh, many people ask, if God was the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart, then it was not his fault, was it? Right? Why would God punish Pharaoh for something God did to him? Or why would God even want to do that to him, to harden his heart? So to, let's try to understand deeper what this word hardened means. Okay? 
Um, from the context, we know it means being stubborn, being obstinate or proud. And it's true, but it's more than that. So hardened in Hebrew uh, is actually the word chazak. All right? Chazak. Hardened is, the, is that word. It means to strengthen, to encourage, to grow rigid. And it carries the connotation of adding to something that is already there. It was adding to it, like adding strength, adding courage, adding hardness. It's adding to something that was already there. And so we see in Exodus 8 verse 15 and 22, it was recorded that he says his heart was hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened or he hardened his heart. So God simply permitted Pharaoh to spiral further down in his own stubbornness. God simply allowed that to happen. And you have to remember, Pharaoh represented the fallen gods of Egypt. And he was an evil man whose heart was already evil and hardened and proud. So God simply allowed him to remain hardened all the way to the end. And whatever the case, God was still able to accomplish His purposes. So here's a warning from Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think that is a timely word for all of us. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The warning here is that we are all susceptible to hardening of hearts. We are all susceptible to that. If there's pride in our lives, we are hardening our hearts. If there is, uh, if we are living in sin, refusing to repent, we are hardening our hearts. If there's no remorse for the lies, the hurtful words that we have spoken, there's no remorse for, for some of the subtle, you know, thoughts, the lustful thoughts, the critical thoughts, the jealous thoughts, the vicious thoughts, that we have in our hearts, we are hardening our hearts. And if your heart remains hardened, one day that hardened condition will become permanent. It will become permanent. And then God's judgment awaits. So how do we heed God's warnings of judgment? How do we do that? Don't harden your heart. Humble yourself and fear God. Don't harden your heart. Humble yourself and fear God. And this is so important. Listen, Gracians. There is liberty in humility. Amen? There is liberty in humility. A humble person is free. Is free because he is secured in his identity. He knows who he is in Christ. He knows he is loved. He is accepted. He knows he has nothing to prove, nothing to lose. A humble person is totally free to admit his mistakes, admit his weaknesses, his flaws. And everyone has them if we are honest about it, isn't it? Everyone has them. The only difference is that the humble person receives grace. Because God says, God gives grace to the humble. And another free area of freedom a humble person experiences is not being bound by other people's opinions of him. Right? He's secure. 
He's at peace. He's relaxed. He can be himself. In fact, if you humble yourself, God actually promises to exalt you. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And so humble yourself, gracious. Come broken before God. Freely admit your sins and weaknesses to God and experience liberty in humility. Hand in hand with humility is the fear of God as well. We need to humble ourselves and we need to fear God. Why don't you type in the chat right now, those who are online, type in the chat, fear God. Yes, fear God. That is important. The fear of God is deep reverence for God and taking His warnings seriously. Reverence for God. Church, God is a holy and awesome God. God is a holy and awesome God. I know many of you, you have experienced God as the loving God, the, the very faithful God, and you know, the one who is good, the one who is faithful. But He is also a jealous God. He is the consuming fire, the Bible says. And today's story of the 10th commandment actually is a great demonstration of that. His judgments are real and just. Because He is a holy God. And He expects us to be holy as well. And so if He expects us to be holy as well, I think the appropriate response is to come before Him uh, in fear and trembling. In fear and trembling, not because we are afraid of Him, not because we are scared of Him, but because we love Him. But because we, we, we really look at Him as our Heavenly Father. And, and there ought to be the sense that you just come before God and we say, God, I don't want to grieve your heart because I love you. I, I, I want to be so watchful, so careful, Lord, about the things that I say and the things that I do and even the thoughts of my heart, Lord. I don't want to quench your spirit, Lord. The fear of God will, will drive us to be careful about the, whatever we say. And when we listen to His Word, the fear of God will drive us to say, you have heard my Word, what are you going to do about it? And that is the fear of God, gracious. So we need the fear of God in our lives. I, I, for me personally, I'm very thankful to God that, you know, somehow from my teenage and my young adult days, there was a sense of the fear of God in my heart. I remember those instances in my life where I actually crossed the line and there were times where I committed certain sins uh, that were relatively severe and, and, and these are things that I'm not proud of and these are things that, you know, even when I think about it right now, I still cringe and I still kind of regret doing that. But because of the fear of God, I remember, I remember so clearly. I remember myself going to my room when it happened and I closed my door and I just fell on my knees and I just cried out to God for forgiveness. Immediately, I went, I went there and I knew I had to do that because the conviction of God just came. And you know what? I can really identify with the Apostle Peter when he denied Christ three times. And the Bible says he went out and 
wept bitterly. That is what the fear of God would, would do in our lives. By the grace of God, those times of godly sorrow and remorse actually set me back on the right path and I didn't slide further into those sins. God really restored me. But all of us know it's a continual journey and I'm, I'm relearning the fear of God these days. And so really, I'm, I'm still preaching to myself. All right? And so what, 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 does God, what does fear of God look like practically? How do we actually uh, cultivate that in our lives? I'm going to share with us some very specific pointers that will really help all of us. Um, it is Fear of God is being quick to confess, quick to repent. I want to encourage us, don't delay for one moment when you knew you had done something against God. Now, the fear of God is total surrender. It's coming before God in, in brokenness, humbling yourself and surrendering that one area of your life that you know is offensive to God, that you know it keeps tripping you up. It's surrendering that to God. And a good practice I have, as I mentioned earlier, kneel before God. In your time with God, kneel before Him from time to time. You know, it's not a religious thing like you kneel and you feel more holy. But your posture makes a difference. When you kneel before God, you're coming in a posture of humility and submission and surrender. So in your time with God, kneel before Him and you will, you're just confessing your sins to Him. And that cultivates the fear of God in your life. To fear God is also to choose obedience. Radical obedience is obeying even when it does not seem to make sense because you know you don't want to grieve the heart of God. That is the fear of God. And so just to help you remember, it's just it's this little um, acronym, uh, QRS. I hope you remember your alphabets in that order. It's not ABC, but it's QRS, okay? Quick to repent, radical obedience, and surrender totally. And so those of you who are online in the chat, engage with me right now. Type in the chat, QRS. And remember that. Be quick to repent, radical obedience, and surrender totally. And so that's my first main point. It is to heed God's warnings of judgment, humble yourselves, and fear God. The second main point that I have for all of us from the 10th plague is hold on to God. Hold on to God. While the Egyptians were utterly devastated by the death of their firstborn, God's people experienced a totally different thing. In Exodus 11 verse 7, it says, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. What a stark contrast. Distinction speaks of separation, right? It makes making a difference between the two groups. The Israelites were set apart from the Egyptians. So while cries of anguish came from the Egyptian households as death attacked them, among the Israelites, not even a dog would bark at the Israelites. Now that speaks of the hand of God over His people, providing protection, safety, providing calmness to them. But remember, the Israelites had to be inside their houses to be spared, right? They had to be inside 
their houses. They were kind of quarantined in a sense, okay, inside their houses. And because of that, they were saved. They didn't just presume that because they were Israelites, they could just walk around freely without any consequence. So just a practical application in this, in this pandemic, you know, let's not be presumptuous. Let's take necessary precautions for our own sake and for our loved ones, you know, because really prevention is better than cure. So let's, let's, let's stay home as much as we can and, and let's not be presumptuous. Just like the Israelites, you know, they had to stay home for God to, be, for God to protect them. So there are two things that we can hold on to God for. The first thing is that God gives calmness in chaos. He gives calmness in chaos, surrounded by an atmosphere of death. The Israelites were untouched, set apart. They were calm. And in fact, they were eating the roasted Passover lamb at home. We learned that last week uh, in, in Pastor Joey's message. We learned that the lamb points to the sacrificial lamb of God who was killed to redeem mankind. And his blood was shed so that judgment will not come upon us. And we are sheltered by his blood, safe, calm, and set apart. So who is our Passover lamb? We learned that last week. Who is our Passover lamb? Speak to me. Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Why don't you type that in the chat as well? Jesus. Yes, Jesus is our Passover lamb. And later as we celebrate Holy Communion, Picture that in your mind. The message of Passover for the people of God is calm in chaos because of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, perhaps your business is failing, is collapsing. Perhaps your health is failing. Perhaps your children are suffering from depression. Perhaps your future looks uncertain. Whatever the situation, let God separate you from that chaos. Let God separate you from that problem and come under Jesus Christ and He will bring safety, assurance, and calmness. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And in this season, I know personally of a Gracian, a Gracian couple who is having a very difficult time right now because their child is going through a very severe case of depression. I got their permission to share this uh, briefly. You know, I saw how they struggled, how they cried, how they had sleepless nights through this very difficult time. And it was really, really heartbreaking for them, I can tell. Yet, in the middle of that, they shared with me. They said, these are their words, our faith will never be shaken. God is still the same. God knows more than we do and loves us more than we know. Wow! That is what it means to experience calmness in chaos. And so I want to encourage all of us here, just a very practical thing that we all can do. Take time to go away. Spend some quiet time with God. When you know it's a time of chaos, it's a time of trouble, Where, you know, wherever you are right now, maybe you're listening to a podcast, maybe you're watching YouTube or you're watching this at home, you can take time to go away somewhere quiet with God. The chaos can be raging all around you, 
But in the stillness of that quiet time, maybe it's in the park somewhere, maybe it's at the beach, or just in your room, in that quiet time, there, have a conversation with God. Invite Him to speak to you. Cry out to Him. Ask Him honest questions. And He will, His, His presence will come and He will minister to you because He brings calmness in chaos. And, this, and that's the second thing that we can hold on to God for. This is the second thing. God gives hope for your future. God gives hope for your future. In Exodus 12, 31, He says, Then He summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. After the Israelites celebrated the first Passover, they picked up their belongings and they left Egypt. The Israelites are finally delivered from slavery. For 400 years, their future was bleak. They were completely in bondage and slavery. But God did the impossible. The superpower of the day was brought to its knees and the Israelites now have hope for the future. So if your future seems uncertain, persevere in trusting God. Persevere. Hold on to God because He will not fail. If this pandemic has affected your income, your emotions, or even your health and it seems like it will never end, hope in God. Hope in God. Even if you're tested positive for COVID-19, don't panic. Don't panic. It's not the end of the world, right? If God can deliver Israel from slavery, from Egypt, God can deliver you. Someone really, really close to me in my family just got diagnosed positive recently. And um, we were all really worried, obviously. And I, I wasn't in contact with him, uh, physical contact. But we just committed it to God. And by the grace of God, he just recovered really, really quickly. And uh, he was out and about uh, before we even knew it. So in this endemic season, let's not live in fear because your future is in God's hand. Can I hear a loud amen? Come on, one more time. Can I hear a loud amen? Amen. Your future is in God's hands. And so I just want to summarize right now with three warnings and three exhortations because we have learned that the judgment of God is real. Three warnings and three exhortations. First, don't ignore. Heed God's warnings. Heed God's warnings. Let the fear of God be your life compass. Repent and turn away from your sin. Kneel and confess your sin to God and even to someone you trust. The second warning, don't harden. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Surrender that one area of your life, that one area of your life that you have failed to surrender and that keeps tripping you up. The third warning, don't panic. Don't panic. Hope in God. Have some quiet time with Him. Let Him speak into your heart, speak peace into your heart. And that rhythm of spending time with the Lord will help you to handle the chaos. 
And so right now, I just want to invite all of us, those online, those of you who are on site here, to just bow our heads right now. I want to invite us to respond to the Word of God this morning. And I think that all of us need to respond to this because we all need to humble ourselves. And so if that is you, you, see, you, you feel that you, know, you want to humble yourself, you know that you don't want your heart to be hardened like Pharaoh's heart was. You, you want to humble yourself. You want to learn to fear God. You want to cultivate that in your life. I want to invite you right now, wherever you are, to kneel before the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. Kneel before Him. Even right here on site, I want to just encourage you, if you want to respond to Him, if you're able physically, kneel before the Lord right now. If you're at home, you can kneel before the Lord. And I want to give you some time to just kneel before Him and begin to confess to Him. Confess your need of Him. Confess your sins. Confess and surrender that one area of your life that you know you need to surrender to Him. And so as we sing this song, I surrender all, I want to give you some time to just talk to the Lord and respond to Him right now. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before You, God. Father, forgive us for our stubbornness, our arrogance, our pride. If we have hardened our hearts, we ask for Your forgiveness, O God. We ask that You soften our hearts this morning. Lord, You are able to turn our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. And so do it, Lord, among Your people this morning. Help us to surrender that one area of our lives to You, O God. We thank You. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to quickly speak to a second group of you. It's those of you who know that you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been to church for a while, you've joined Christian activities, but you, you don't know Jesus personally and you're not right with God. The warning of God says the wages, the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so today, if you want to get right with God, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to surrender your whole life to God, you don't want to harden your heart anymore, I want to lead you in a prayer. And so if that is you over here, just give me a wave if that's you. You say, Lord, I want to get right with you. I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time. I want to surrender my life to Jesus for the first time. Respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord right now. Those of you who are online, you can respond by saying, me. Just type in the chat, me. Say, I want to respond to the Lord. And so you know who you are. Let me lead you in a prayer. Say this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me. If you want to come and invite Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. You say, Dear Jesus, I humble myself before you. I acknowledge I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for the wrongs I've done. 
I choose to turn away from them. Please come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I choose to surrender my life completely to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that today I'm your child. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.